Welcome, welcome. You're listening to our podcast, Two Massage Therapists in a Microphone. My name is Mark. I'm a registered massage therapist, registered kinesiologist here in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And hopefully you have been digging on everything that we've been putting out episode after episode. We have something really cool today. We have a guest. Her name is Shelly Ann. She is sitting on our couch. And today we are talking about sound therapy for tinnitus. And this is something that we wanted to bring to the attention of massage therapists because we deal a lot with patients who are suffering with tinnitus either from some sort of uh, head trauma or temporal mandibular joint dysfunction. So this is going to be something that I think it will be of super interest to a lot of you guys out there. Yeah, I'm excited too. Hey everyone, it's Amanda. Um, as Mark said, we are talking about tinnitus today. So we have Shelly Ann Lee, who is a PhD candidate at U of T and the COO of Sound Options, which offers tinnitus treatments, um, as Mark has already said. And uh this is going to be really interesting for a lot of you, I hope, because I was super excited to hear about this since I didn't even know, um, I don't, I didn't even know that sound therapy for tinnitus really existed. I don't understand how it works. I didn't know what it was. So this is all going to be new info for me as well. So thank you. And thank you for sitting on the couch, Shelly. Oh, you're welcome. It's actually very <laughs> comfortable. I'd just like to quickly promote your beautiful couch here. It's actually not so bad. <laughs> thank you. Uh, so before we start, Shelly Ann, uh, can you you please uh, just tell us a little bit about yourself uh, before we get into talking about what you do with sound options. Sure, absolutely. So um, as you already mentioned, I am a PhD candidate, so I'm in my fourth year at University of Toronto. But with sound options, it actually started back when I was doing my master's at McMaster University. So I met with Michael Krzysztofski, who is the CEO and founder of the sound options tinnitus treatment. And what he had initially was that um, through his his PhD dissertation, there was a sound therapy for tinnitus, and he conducted the trials on rats, and it was effective. So then the next step, or the next phase of the trial was to conduct it on humans. And then so he invited me and asked me whether or not I can uh, do a trial and design a trial for humans specifically. So what we did was that we conducted a randomized control trial with uh, the tinnitus sufferers, and we basically split them off into two groups, one group with uh, just regular unaltered music and the other group with the altered music. Now note that both of the uh, musical tracks, they are the same. The only difference is that one is altered and the other one is not. And then we, so we followed uh, these participants for one year actually, but we did uh, baseline three months, six months, and 12 months follow-up. And we saw that those in the control group, they didn't receive any benefits from the unaltered music tracks, but the ones from the treatment group, which was receiving the altered music tracks, they actually had benefits and there was a significant reduction in the reported tinnitus. And so after that, we're like, hey, maybe we can really commercialize this and scale this up and offer it to the community in Hamilton. And then so we approached the Ontario government. They gave us a, a big injection of funding to do scale up. And then now, fast forward um, six, no, five years later, uh, we are over 500 clinics, um, hearing clinics uh, across North America. We're doing trials in China. 
China, and we're also doing trials in the States. So that's where we're at. Right on. That's pretty cool. Can you define, uh, may, am I saying it wrong? Tinnitus? Tinnitus? Can it go either way? Please, I can go either way. I know, I've said <laughs> yes. tinnitus like my entire life, so... That's absolutely <laughs> fine. Uh, although we did prefer tinnitus because tinnitus, and there's an itis in there, which things mm-hmm. like arthritis is like more inflammation. like inflammation. Yeah. So right, we right, don't right. want to get the wrong idea. Gotcha. But a lot of hearing health providers would use tinnitus. And sometimes we, us ourselves, we would also kind of go with the flow. And we're like, yes, tinnitus. Because when we said tinnitus, they're like, what? What, what is, is that? that? <laughs> right on. Can you define it for us? Yes, absolutely. So it is more of a phantom noise that is perceived um, from the central nervous system. So it's not actually the, the physical noise that's um, within the actual physiological structures of our ears, but it is more something that is perceived by the brain. So have you guys heard of anything about the phantom pain sim- syndrome? So it's very similar to that. So for example, with the phantom pain, for example, uh, um, and amputated arm or leg, uh, the patient would still perceive or still experience the pain um, as it was being severed uh, during the time when, um, you know, the accident happened. And they would still continue to receive the pain. And they're like, well, why? My limb is gone. Well, it's because how our brain works is that uh, through, uh, our brain is very plastic, uh, first of all. The second part is that our brain has uh, different maps. So, for example, even just um, if I were to quickly touch my uh, index finger and I'm like, okay, my brain is perceiving that my index finger is being touched, right? Um, so that is because there is a specific location for me to sense uh, the touch on my index finger. So similar to that with the phantom pain. Uh, so even though the actual limb is no longer there, there is still an as a part of the brain or the synapses that are created that connects directly to that specific part of the brain or to the body. Right. You lost your limb. You didn't exactly. lose that portion of your brain. Exactly. Yeah. So very similarly to uh, the phantom noise, what happens is that as we get older as or as we experience noise trauma or noise exposure, there's these really tiny little hair cells and they're called cilia and they're getting damaged and depleted over time. So what the brain does is that... Um, it's as if they they still have those specific tiny hair cells there, but actually over time, it just gets depleted. And unfortunately, we can't really grow these little tiny hair cells back. And these little tiny hair cells are extremely important for hearing because that is when we we start, let's say, for example, you guys are hearing how I'm talking right now it's, and perceiving what I'm saying, but it's there's actually a very complex process involved with that where um, as sound waves gets delivered into these uh, the the ear, inner uh, ear canal and then the cilia, they move in certain directions, which triggers an electric signal to the auditory cortex of our brain through the auditory pathway, and that would perceive as sound or perceive as what I'm whatever I'm saying right now, for example. So as these little cilia get depleted over time, um, the brain acts as a as if there's still noise generated, there's still sound generated, there's still electrical signals being um, input to the, the specific part of the brain, which might cause tinnitus. And so that's what we're looking at. And obviously, there's two types of tinnitus. There's a subjective tinnitus, which I just mentioned to you about, where it's more of the central nervous system. And then there's the uh, there's the objective tinnitus where if you were to ask a hearing pro- uh, professional such as an ENT to look into the patient's ear who has subjective tinnitus, they might see specific areas where there's uh, muscle spasms in the ear 
canal. And then what they see is that there is actually producing some sort of uh, a noise there, and that's more objective. But the vast majority suffer from uh, subjective tinnitus, which is really in their head, and it's really their brain uh, picking up uh, specific signals that are actually not there. So what would be some of the more common causes for somebody who suffers with subjective tinnitus? Yes, it's a really good question, and we get this all the time. And so uh, it's can be related to age because as we, you know, as we go on with our lives and um, we always experience external noise input no matter where we are, right? Like we're mm-hmm. standing in our bus, we're talking to people. So over time, these cilia get depleted and they get damaged and they don't get repaired because our body doesn't uh, do any cilia regrowth. And this is what causes tinnitus. So through like noise trauma. So for example, musicians suffer a lot from tinnitus or uh, those who are first responders, for example, police, right? right? Or, uh, you know, those who are, um, are veterans, right? So they all suffer from tinnitus. So that's the most common cause. Um, is there, do you ever get cases of very young people? Yes, there is. And it's unfortunate because we love listening to, you know, MP3 players back in the days, or even now with our smartphones or, you know, iPads and iPods and iPhones mm-hmm. and where we're uh, always listening to music and sometimes at a very loud volume, um, you know, especially if we're on the subway and we want to really crank it up so we can hear it. But that is through long, through long-term uh, noise exposure it would cause tinnitus because we're uh, furthering the process of depleting our cilia in our ears. So does it have to be damage to the cilia? That's the reason for the ringing in the ear? Or as Mark suggested before, if somebody were to have a head trauma Mm -hmm. and there was damage to maybe somewhere in that auditory pathway, because that could be the cause? That's an extremely good example and definitely something that we need to talk about. Uh, So there's actually multiple different ways of causing tinnitus, even though age and the noise exposure is one way Mm -hmm. and the most common, but other ways like TMJ, um, uh, as well as neck or head trauma, those with cochlear implants or ear surgery, or even uh, those with cardiovascular problems that might also lead to tinnitus. So for example, as you mentioned with the neck trauma, there might be um, specific parts of the neck or the the muscles where it's really pressing against uh, where some of the uh, blood vessels are delivering uh, the blood flow to the ears that might also cause tinnitus or TMJ because it's really um, located very close to the ear. Mm -hmm. And then so there's specific pressures that are being put very close to where the ear is, which should also cause tinnitus. So there's different uh, causes for tinnitus and uh, even a medication like aspirin, uh, you know, taking higher levels of aspirin also might lead to tinnitus. Am I wrong in assuming it's kind of an unconventional treatment intervention? Mm-hmm. What do you mean by unconventional? Like um, uh, not very common. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's actually a lot of research being conducted and maybe it's more of, you know, it stays within academia mm-hmm. um, that there are sound therapies to treat tinnitus, even though it's not a you know, publicly available, the vast majority of them, they might stop at a phase where, okay, they tested something and then we just, they published a paper and that would be that. And they don't really go through the implementation or the commercialization process. Right. And that's actually not uncommon in research because only 10% of the research um, gets actually implemented um, 
in, in terms of, you know, uh, improving the quality of life. Mm -hmm. And it takes 17 years uh, for any research to get implemented. And obviously, there's ones like drug trials and like specific um, therapies or interventions that are extremely popular, but there's, those are actually very rare. Mm -hmm. The vast majority of research stays in, uh, you know, peer-reviewed journal publications, and it never really gets implemented the way it should. What are the types of treatment for tinnitus, other than sound therapy, which I really yes. want to dive no, right into? But Absolutely. And there are, there are different types. So there is something called a tinnitus retraining therapy. Uh, you guys can look into it a little bit more. And what it does, it is a much longer term process. And I'm not sure about the specifics, but I know that uh, you have to work with um, a trained therapist or a hearing health provider that would help the client to overcome the, the tinnitus perception over time. Mm -hmm. And that's the more rigorous and long-term uh, process that is uh, being used, although not as popular as before. Uh, the other type is cognitive behavioral therapy, um, very similar to TRT, I believe. I'm not sure, but um, due to my limited knowledge in this area. Mm -hmm. and But with CBT, uh, what it does is that it's trying to uh, correct some of the negative thoughts that might lead to anxiety and depression, both of which would link to tinnitus, right? So we're preventing the client from spiraling down um, because uh, what research shows is that there is an association between anxiety, depression, and tinnitus. Right. And so CBT would mainly be focused on these areas. And it's uh, extremely beneficial for those who are anxious or, or who those who are diagnosed with depressive symptoms or depression and with tinnitus. So I wanted to ask this before, and since we're here, before we dive right into how the sound therapy works, something like CBT for tinnitus is is not going to be effective with somebody who's not having these symptoms because of something cognitive, right? So there would be some sort of assessment, I assume, to determine what type of therapy. Is there... Um, a specific, I guess, um, type of tinnitus that sound therapy works best on? Like, is there, is it only going to work for people, for example, who are suffering from it because of damage to the cilia? Or is this maybe more universal than some of the other therapies? Those are good questions. So it really depends on the type of therapy and uh, how it was being tested initially and which population that uh, is sampled. And it, so I'm just going to break your questions into two parts. So you initially you mentioned whether a CBT is only good for those who suffer from anxiety and depression. Mm -hmm. My answer is it depends, but I would lean towards saying no, because with CBT, even though uh, those with tinnitus and they're, they're not experiencing anxiety symptoms or, you know, episodes of depression, um, it doesn't necessarily mean they won't benefit from it. It's right. just that those who do, who are very anxious, they would benefit the most. Mm -hmm. um, because obviously, as you know, even just as us everyday individuals, we have thoughts, some of them are more negative, some of them are more positive. And um, there's different personalities, some are more um, inclined to worry about something and an event versus another person or those who might be quote unquote more um, OCD than others. Uh, so even with that, you know, you know, personality and the 
you know, natural tendency to either worry or not would also affect their tinnitus. So I would say that there is a, a close relationship between, um, you know, one's personality and how they perceive tinnitus versus, you know, how their tinnitus actually sounds like and how severe they perceive the tinnitus to be. So the second uh, question is whether or not the sound therapy um, is suitable for the vast majority of different causes of tinnitus. And yeah, so for for example, for the sound, th sound therapy that we have, we tested on um, patients who have hearing loss and who are older adults, right? But we didn't test it on those with Meniere's disease, which also cause tinnitus or those with cardiovascular problems or with TMJ. So obviously we won't be able to guarantee whether or not this treatment would work for them. But um, through experience and through interacting with different clientele, uh, we do see benefits for those who are using, uh, you know, the sound therapy for TM with TMJ, but obviously we can't really tell whether they had tinnitus before they had TMJ, right? right? Or so it's hard to tell. So um, obviously, uh, for the vast majority of sound therapies out there, if it's not tested um, with the specific population that they have in mind, um, then I would not recommend um, using the sound therapy just because you know, it's, it says it's effective for tinnitus, but it really has to do with the cause. Right. Thank you. Okay. Um, let's talk about it then. Tell everybody, now that we have somewhat of an understanding of mm -hmm. what tinnitus is, and I know how to say it, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, before, I want to talk about the company, but let's talk about this specific type of sound therapy. How does this work? Okay. So the sound therapy that we're currently providing to the clients. Okay. So what we have, it is a very unique way of approaching uh, tinnitus management treatment because we're using a computational model and it's really based on um, the specific neural connections that happen within our brain and the different synapses. And so what we have is that we take the client's hearing profile, like the audiogram. So everyone has different hearing test results because we have different levels of hearing. And then we also take a specific uh, tinnitus characteristic test for them. And so what that means is that um, everyone's tinnitus is different. So for example, let's say we all have tinnitus and, you know, two of us has hissing, but one of us has tonal. Um, that's already a difference there. But even even with two people who have hissing uh, tinnitus, there might be differences in the pitch or the frequency of the tinnitus, right. right? Some might be high pitch hissing, some might be more of a low pitched hissing. And even that is very specific and unique to individuals. So we're taking that uh, tinnitus characteristic in account, plus the hearing test results, plus the self-report that we do uh, for the for the clients to create a specific um algorithm that would over time reduce or even reverse the abnormal changes that had happened in their brain in the auditory cortex. And so we're not a masker or trying to, um, you know, cancel out certain uh, noises in the person's head. We're really trying to retrain the brain because we believe that the brain is plastic. Right. And so over time, by using the sound therapy, by listening to the music tracks that we provide that are spectrally altered, um, it the clients actually receive benefits and there's an actual reduction in their tinnitus. And this is very different from, uh, you know, those... Uh, uh, ones with um, noise 
uh, noise cancelling machines or those who are focused on notch therapy. Um, I, I recognize that notch therapy is something that has um, been quite popular, but um, from much of the experiences that I've had in chats with the tinnitus sufferers is that it's actually not a long-term solution. It might be very temporary, and sometimes over time it might even lead to um worsening of the tinnitus and it's mainly because with notch therapy what it does is that it tries to take out all the frequencies um, that makes up for the tinnitus frequency right so you're trying to initially do the uh, pitch match and then you're using something called the notch therapy uh, but over time it it doesn't work because it's it's using something called uh, residual inhibituation. And then so over time, even though it works maybe for like 30 seconds or 60 seconds where you're listening to it and where you're stopping, um, it's definitely not a long-term solution. And there's a lot of people that would definitely experience relapse and sometimes it might be even worse than what they started out with. Well, so one of your business partners or both of them are neuroscientists, correct? Yes, that's correct. So this sound therapy is basically based on the premise of neuroplasticity and rewiring the brain. So this would have a much more long-term effect then because you've essentially changed the pathways in the brain to stop, I guess, this phantom ringing in the ears or hissing yes. or whatever the sound is. Yes, exactly. So we're that's why it's more of a longer term process. So what the clients are expected to do is that they're expected to commit themselves to two hours of listening at least per day. And they can break it into 20 minute intervals or 30 minute intervals. And as long as the main uh, external input into their ears, then they'll be fine. And it's really not the music that they're hearing that's effective because classical music, the music that we use or soundscape music, they're really just a channel. They're more of like a medium that we deliver the sound therapy through. So for example, if they were sleeping and they were listening to the music, that still is uh, very similar benefits for those who are using it during their waking hours. And so even though um, us ourselves um, not being aware of listening to the music, our brain is still awake and processing and receiving this input from the sound therapy itself. And that's how it works over time. And much of the time I would tell clients, they would ask me, so how long does this take? Is it going to be effective? Like how long is that? Like, you know, I want to see the results quickly. Um, I would uh, compare it to more like uh, putting braces on where it works over time, gradually changes the brain, right? right. Just as it gradually changes um, uh, the, the teeth and like the positions of the teeth and the gums. It's very similar. So that's why it does take longer. And so it takes about three months to get the initial reduction for the vast majority of those uh, who suffer from tinnitus. Okay, well, I mean, three months in the grand scheme of things isn't isn't that long. Um, this sounds like like subliminal messages in music. Like, is that essentially what yeah, <laughs> what you're doing? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, with the uh, specific frequencies that's being uh, delivered to your brain, it's uh, we're we're not telling you know clients to do certain things or not do certain things <laughs> with these messages. <laughs> Disclaimer: <laughs> Don't listen to anything Amanda says because I know nothing about sound therapy. <laughs> Yeah, but it, I I can I can see why you got that idea. But we're really trying to, um, you know, input these specific uh, frequencies in, into the brain, and so that it actually changes it over time and it changes uh, the specific auditory pathway and it corrects it. And so, 
as I mentioned before, the brain is very plastic, as I, as I told you guys. So for example, um, we would learn piano for one week and we're okay, right? Kind of choppy. But if we learn it for, you know, 10 months, we're getting a little bit better, right? Mm-hmm. And then do you guys know why we're getting better at learning piano? Yeah, you're creating new neural pathways. Exactly. With practice. Yes, 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 exactly. So that's exactly what we're uh, trying to accomplish here. We're trying to reroute, we're trying to create uh, a new synapses, new connections uh, for the brain so that the brain no longer perceives the tinnitus. Right. That is so cool. And how does this work? Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm so curious how it works. So there is that classical track that plays, and then there's there's a there's like a subtrack that plays behind that. Um. So what we have is that when we take the hearing test results and the tinnitus characteristics, along with the self report of the client's uh, tinnitus history or medical history, mm-hmm. what we have is that we. F- feed it into our computational model that predicts exactly how tinnitus has developed for that person's brain. And then so from that, we kind of um, try to uh, spectrally alter the music tracks that uh, we also feed into the model so that it's more of the uh, specific computational model is blended within the classical music. So for example, like if you were to listen to some of our music samples that we offer on our uh, website, Mm -hmm. soundoptions.ca, you won't really tell a difference between actual, just no specially altered classical music or music that is our sound therapy, which is specially altered. Um, but you can tell if you go on a website, there's, uh, I think, three tracks. And then so you could see exactly, you know, it is there is a variation and you can kind of tell, yeah, it is different, but it still sounds the same, mm-hmm. right? But uh, these specific tracks are actually for three different client profiles. Okay. I mean, I'm, we're never going to obviously understand the algorithm and how the music is altered, but... Is it sort of based on this principle of like, you know, like affecting like, like a try, like is, are the frequencies that are like embedded in the music similar to what the patient is perceiving already? Mm -hmm. That's, those are good questions. So what we have is we're really targeting what they, what caused their tinnitus, the frequencies that caused tinnitus in the first place. And that is something that the model is predicting. Okay. And then, so we're using those frequencies. So it might not necessarily be the frequencies that they're hearing, but... But what caused it initially. what caused it initially. Okay. Mm -hmm. This is so interesting to me. I mean, you are a musician, and I'm fairly certain that you have some noise-induced hearing loss, Mm -hmm. or you just don't listen to me. It's one of the two. It's both. Okay. (laughs) Thank you for being honest. (laughs) (laughs) So... Do you ever have like? Do you ever have any sort of like ringing or hissing or buzzing in your ears? Intermittently, it's never constant, but intermittently, not that I'm aware of. Constant. Well, like if, just as an example, when we met, he played in a band, and he never wore like a lot of his band mates would wear like those things in their the ears to block out some of the noise. Mm-hmm. But he didn't. He would get on stage night after night with completely exposed ears next mm-hmm. to gigantic like bass amps. Mm-hmm. So, you know, now that he's not, you know, getting younger, but getting older, <laughs> if he were to start getting some sort of like tones or whatever in his ears, some sort of tinnitus, then the altered music would somewhat have to match these like loud, like rock bass tones that he was hearing? Um, not necessarily. Um, so how the computational model works is that it uses what is 
uh, currently being heard as tinnitus and then uses the hearing characteristics and profile mm-hmm. and also the self-reports in order okay. to predict it. So it may or may not be uh, these loud bass um, sounds. Um, so it's it's very different and it varies depending on the frequency of the tinnitus. Okay. Mm-hmm. So interesting. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about the company. Yeah. Yeah. So like, how did this grow from, you know, uh, it was Michael was the name of the original neuroscientist. So he brought you in to do human trials. Mm -hmm. And how did it go from there to five years later, having 500 locations in North America and doing testing in China and the States? (laughs) This kind of exploded in five years. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. It it did seem like a longer process as initially when we started out and like when we're running the trials and we're, you know, seeing that it's really coming together in a sense that it is actually effective. And note that um, both uh, the inve- all the investigators, the analysts, and even the p- participants themselves, they didn't know which which group they were in. So they would just be given out these sound therapies, but they're like, oh, I don't know which group I'm in. But mm-hmm. I'm very surprised and I really appreciate that they, they stuck with us for the full year, even for those who just received regular classical music, but they stuck with us and really appreciate that. But obviously we we wanted to uh, offer them the, the treatment, the actual treatment because they're actually tinnitus sufferers. Right. Mm-hmm. And so um, they, they were, you know, in the end, they were happy. So we're all happy. It's a win-win situation. Um, so after that, we figured, okay, well, this is something that we can really uh, bring forth to hearing clinics because there's a lot of clinics that currently don't have tinnitus therapies in place or uh, some of the hearing health providers, they might not be well-versed in tinnitus. So we literally, you know, we went um, to the different uh, clinics in Hamilton. That's where we started out. And, you know, we started to uh, ask um, some of the hearing health professionals for their input and like for their interests and we just grew from there and so really much of the time is, is by word of mouth um, by just uh, having hearing health professionals saying like hey sound options is pretty good it, it worked for you know a few of my clients here when we started out so why don't you give, give it a try right and even to like different partners and um, from that we started partnering with chains and so uh, we started getting um, our name out from here on in mm-hmm. and so yeah and then now we're where we're at right now. Right. Yeah. So awesome. Uh, does it have to be classical music? That's a good question. So we use music because it works very well with the um, the comp- uh, computational model that uh, is being embedded uh, for the sound therapy. And also because uh, with classical music, unlike rock music or hip hop or, or ones with uh, really heavy basses, they actually do damage our ears. So we're trying to use music like relaxing soundscape spa music that right. works too. Um, just so that the ears aren't experiencing so much stress on them. Yeah, it'd be a little counterproductive to use rock music when you're trying to heal uh, an ear problem. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Classical music, okay. Well, and it's also, if a cause of tinnitus is sort of stress or anxiety, the classical music might even just have a positive effect in that sense anyway, combined with the CBT or whatever else you were doing. Yes, exactly. And and, uh, we do have uh, different options so there's one with like just uh, the original sound therapy we have another line which is called the uh the tinovate live well which actually includes uh, a preloaded uh, music device and then with these headbands with high quality embedded um 
headphones in them so that they can listen to it during sleep. Because mm. a lot of the problems with tinnitus sufferers that during the day, they might be more distracted because they're doing things, they're going up the days, right. they're talking to people. And so they don't hear tinnitus as much. But if they're going to sleep, right, and then everything is silent. And then so now they're forced to listen to their own tinnitus, which is super annoying. I can't imagine. Like just yeah. talking about it actually makes me feel like, like almost like, like squirmy. Like I can't imagine having like something in my ear all the time. Yeah. And, and it's, it's very unfortunate, but some might even lead to attempt a suicide and some, they might even opt to perform surgeries where they're trying to just cut off all the external noise input. So like they make, they literally make themselves deaf, even wow. though it's like 50% um, of the chance of not listening to their own tinnitus. Unfortunately, it didn't work. So now they only hear tinnitus and nothing else. So there oh are these God. extreme cases that uh, um, that we, we do come across and we do definitely very sympathize with them because it's very um, it's a very severe issue that really affects their quality of life. And there's those who have very severe tinnitus where, for example, they're listening to this podcast and we're, we're talking, but their tinnitus competes with them. So all they hear is their tinnitus, right? So as, for example, if they walk into a loud room and you would think, oh, well, you know, all these loud voices will drown out the tinnitus. The answer is no. The tinnitus actually gets worse, gets louder. Um, they get frustrated because they can't hear anything except for their own tinnitus. Mm -hmm. And so it can get to the point where um, it can get very severe for them. Wow. And so uh, back to um, the Tinovate LiveWell, what we have with these headbands is that it too it, it does two things. Like one is that it gives them the option to listen to it during nighttime only, especially when they're really busy during the days, right? They don't have time for two hours of music. Or two, they just need the music to relax their brain to help them uh, go to sleep. And then especially when they're using the music and it is very soothing and it does take their mind off of the tinnitus itself. Mm -hmm. So that's why we have this updated Tinovate Live Well package that we, um, that's new for us. So I assume that for the therapy to work, um, they would need to be sort of listening to the music and only the music. So for example, it couldn't just be playing in your kitchen while you're cooking and you're still hearing, you know, the noises of the kitchen and your kids, you would need to have it like right in your ears. Yes, right? exactly. Yeah. So they won't be uh, be playing it on their speakers in the room or anywhere. So it has to be uh, with a headset or earphones that's close to their heads so that the brain can pick up um, the sound therapy to reduce or even reverse some of the abnormal changes that occur in the brain. Um, before we put the headsets on, you were telling me that part of the company's goal was to um, bring this to consumers and make it manageable. Mm -hmm. How affordable is this type of therapy for people or is there any insurance coverage for it? I, I don't know how any of this how any of this works. Right. And so as us as researchers and as scientists, we really, our goal is really to just give back to the community and to really um, be able to 
advocate for something that's accessible, that's effective, which is clinically tested, uh, which unfortunately many of the sound therapies or even tinnitus uh, treatments out there are not. And so we're really trying to um, create, uh, disrupt the space, the audiology space, um, so that we're offering something that is accessible, convenient, and cost-effective. And so uh, we're currently working with some of the insurance uh, providers. Um, from what my understanding is from the uh, tinnitus sufferers that work with us, or sorry, not work with us, but that use their treatment, um, they they have had benefit with uh, manual life. So, you know, getting through their insurance through manual life or even through WSIB, okay. right? So there's uh, different options. So, so some extended benefits would cover definitely, this. Definitely, but okay. I would always tell them to check in with their insurance company first before uh, making the de- decisions if cost is um, an important um, consideration for them. Mm-hmm. And then so just to give you an idea of the sound therapy for us, so we're around $500, but it varies by clinic. You know, some clinics might charge more, some might charge less, depending on what so- sort of add-on services they include. Um, so for that's for the original sound therapy, which would be offered through us, and then we would deliver it to the clinic or if the client prefers directly to them uh, when we send it. And then the other option is what I mentioned to you, the Tinovate Live Well, which includes the, you know, the headbands and uh, the preloaded music device and along with the personalized, uh, more intensive follow-up with a PhD level tinnitus expert that we have on staff. And that is around $900, which includes uh, shipping and also taxes. Okay. I mean, obviously affordable is subjective, but to me, that sounds pretty reasonable for, mm-hmm. you know, if, if this is something that can is a long-term solution and it's something yeah. that doesn't, you know, it's not one treatment, two treatments. Like you said, this is something that mm-hmm. goes on at least three months just to get the initial reduction. And then I assume you have to continue with this for what, maybe up to a year, maybe more, depending on how severe? Yes, depending on how severe. uh, We have really good cases where, you know, clients will say, hey, I I stopped listening, uh, you know, after six months because I don't even hear my tennis anymore and it's fine. So there are cases like that, which are really good. Initially, I was like, but you started off with this alarm bell ringing in the ears. They're like, yeah, but, you know, I don't really remember exactly how that pitch sounds like before. So that's really amazing. And then there's other clients where um, they wouldn't listen to it for a year um, because it helped them for nine months and they stopped. But then after that year, they went uh, to a New Year's party and they were clubbing and the tinnitus comes back, but it sounds very different, right? So then like they come back to us. So um, it's very interesting. And I guess I'm pointing this out because it really varies person to person and it really depends on what the cause is, you know, some of the medical history, uh, for the person and so obviously it also links to their lifestyle choices and also their work environment so for example there's a lot of um, those who work in the factory they might have more prevalent and a long mm-hmm. longer term tinnitus um, because simply because their environment they're always you know listening to this loud machines going off while they're doing the work. This is so, so cool. I mean, every time we have any type of expert guest on talking about something, I think at some point my comment is like, the human body and brain is so fascinating. Like the fact that you can rewire your brain to stop hearing something that has been like controlling your life for, you know, months or years or whatever is just, 
incredible to me. Thank you. And I think neuroscience is really just still at the beginning. There's still so much more to learn and to discover. Definitely. I think it's only been around for less than a century. How did you get into this? That was my next question. It's like oh, you're in you. my brain. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are connected. Yeah, seriously. I was just about to say, what got you into this? Mm-hmm. So I started off um, with having a, a keen interest in uh, health research methods. So for example, how to run trials properly, how to do proper research, rigorous research um, that would actually be um, accurately reflecting a specific intervention or treatment. And so I've always thought it was very important to do research correctly because from what I read before, um, there's actually a lot of literature out there, a lot of research papers out there, which unfortunately doesn't have strong research methods behind it. So they'd be making claims, but Mm -hmm. the research methods, they might not be uh, conducted or maintained rigorously. Mm -hmm. So uh, that was one step towards, you know, thinking uh, for me in terms of my research uh, pathway and as, as a career, um, that I do want to make sure that I know my methods, that when I am doing research in the area that I like, which is what I'm doing right now um, with tinnitus or with my PhD at University of Toronto, um, that I'm doing it correctly. So that's very important to me. And so during the time when I was uh, doing this health research methods uh, master, um, I was I had a chance to be connected to Michael, and he was at that time in need of someone to do a, a rigorous clinical trial. And then so that's how I got involved. And the more I, you know, learned about tinnitus, the more excited I got. And the more I know that there is definitely a need um, in the community, especially for something that's cost effective. Because currently with a lot of the hearing aids that have embedded maskers in them, mm-hmm. you know, they cost at least $3,000 to $7,000. I was talking to a client uh, the other day and he told me that, you know what, just get me the treatment. Um, you don't have to even tell me what your sound therapy does because it's so much more cost effective. And I was like, oh, really? Because, you know, a lot of clients, they would ask how much it is and mm-hmm. they consider they're like, yeah, like for someone like me, I just spent $7,000 on, you know, these hearing aid maskers, but they did not work. Mm. So... is really nothing to me. Yeah. And so we're really trying to break that space where we're offering something at a much lower price point. Wow. Right on. Just in. I know. I'm I'm just in awe right now. This is. (laughs) Well, as Mark said, as massage therapists, we come across patients all the time who are suffering with this. And of course, we think of the obvious things. And, you know, we're working on their neck and TMJ. And, you know, sometimes we get some results, but. It it would be nice to know where to refer people who are losing their mind. Basically, as you said, this can Literally. it can alter your quality of life completely. Because if every day, all day, you are battling with this noise that's in your yes. head, I yeah. can't imagine how frustrating that would be. And it's frustrating for um, family members too, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, the tenant sufferer gets irritated, frustrated stressed out it affects those around them Mm -hmm. and these are real stories that i heard when i was running a trial because i got to speak with these children sufferers so i really feel for them especially those who think of committing suicide because of this and it's 
absolutely devastating. So uh, the hope is to really um, advance our uh, tinnitus treatments out there, whatever it may be, doesn't have to be sound therapy, uh, but really to to help these uh, tinnitus sufferers because for them it's real and it's every day and they're living it. My mind's blown. I'm just like, yeah. <laughs> well, I think a lot of people listening also will feel the same way that they're just I think people will be excited to know that there is an option that is affordable, possibly that insurance companies are going to get on board with, and that could have long-lasting effects. Because as you said, some of the therapies that exist, although they're effective, they're not effective long-term. And Mm -hmm. I can't imagine how deflating that would be to a patient Mm -hmm. to feel like, yeah, I'm getting some results. And then it goes away. And again, nothing's guaranteed. Obviously, even with sound therapy, it's going to affect people differently. Some people, the tinnitus may return, as you said, based on lifestyle choices. So, you know, maybe if you do this, don't go to like a New Year's Eve party downtown afterwards. I don't know. Um, But for people listening who want more information, can you let people know how to find you? We can put some links up to any websites or social media that you have. Uh, Yes. So we do have a website and Facebook group that um, everyone's welcome to join. So our website is www.soundoptions.ca. And you guys can always email us at info, so info at soundoptions.ca if you have more information, or if you visit any of the Hearing Life Canada locations, they have our treatment available, um, or any of some of the uh, independent clinics, they also have our treatment as well. So you can ask your hearing health provider about us. This has been so awesome. Thank you yes. so much for coming Thank in. You. We have been trying to get uh, somebody to come talk about this since the fall, and I'm very, very grateful that you came in today. I think this was really informative. Thank you for having me here. And thanks for sitting on the couch. <laughs> <laughs> right on, right on. All right, everyone, you've been listening to two massage therapists and a microphone. Have an awesome day.